Awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Clayton, and I'm the pastor here at Central, and I'm just so glad that the Tulsa County Jail brought some inmates uh, today. I uh, got them down here at the front with you guys. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're all jealous. We don't have shirts as well. We want some, some family reunion shirts. Um, uh, well, today's going to be a great day. Uh, we are beginning a, a brand new series called Hidden Reefs, and we're going to be looking in the, the letter of Jude, and I want you guys to be able to have the, the notes for today, so on the screens uh, around me will be um, a way for you can, you can get the notes um, uh, today. You know, uh, my, my wife and I, we just finished celebrating uh, 20 years of marriage, I can't believe she's hung around me that long and put up with me, and, uh, but I'm really grateful for that, and she and I have gone around the world. We've been all over the place uh, doing different mission trips and going on vacations, and one of our favorite vacations was actually to, to go to the Florida Keys, and what was great is, is that our, our kids uh, weren't with us, and so it was really, really good uh, to be able to go to the Florida Keys, and we learned a lot of stuff, a lot of history about the Florida Keys, and one of the things we learned is that in the 1800s, that area was the, the per capita, the richest place in all of the country. And the reason is, is not because of tourism or anything like that. It was actually because of shipwrecks. Um, there was a shipwreck industry, and they called it the, the wrecking industry. And around the Florida Keys, there's this very dangerous uh, area that about a 200-mile stretch of coral reef that a lot of people couldn't see, they didn't know about. And so people were just waiting for ships to wreck. About 10 a week would wreck um, off on these coral uh, reefs. And so they would go and they would, uh, if they were the first wrecker to get to the, to the, the, the shipwreck, they had claim and right to all of the things that were in it, which is crazy, you know. And so they were able to, to make a ton of money doing that. And it's pretty interesting to think about that. There's about a thousand shipwrecks along that stretch um, of, of Florida. But that's not a whole lot compared to the United States. There's about 10,000 shipwrecks uh, around our, our shores. But around the world, there's estimate, estimated about 3 million shipwrecks. Um, it's all over the place. And so I want you to, to imagine today that you're out on, on the ocean and you're on a ship and you're heading into shore. You can see the shore in front of you, but there is a, a hidden danger beneath and right in front of you that you cannot see. But I want you to imagine if there was a, a person up in the, the crow's nest and they can actually see from a different perspective and they could actually see this, this hidden reef in front of you. And so they begin to yell down at you and you're steering this, this ship and they're, they're saying there is danger ahead. We have to do something about it. Well, this is in essence the letter of Jude. And so today I wanted to take you through Jude a little bit. And we're going to go through over the next three weeks and, and look at this guy and his life and, and who he was and the message that he had for his people back then, but also for us today. So you have your Bibles, you can turn to Jude. Now Jude is, is a very interesting book. It's a letter. It's only 25 verses long. And scholars say it's one of the, the most, if not the most, neglected letter or book in the New Testament because it's right before Revelation. And it's actually very kind of weird. There's a lot of like historical stuff in it. There's a lot of Jewish stuff in it. It's very Jewish-ish of kind of, a, kind of a letter. But that's the people he was writing to. But there's a, a great message for us if we can interpret it correctly. So let's look at it. Let's start in verse 1 in, in Jude. Here's what it says. It says that this letter is from Jude a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of, of James. So 
who is Jude? Who is this, this guy um, that we are getting this, this letter from? Well, it says that he is the brother of James. Well, James was the guy that wrote the, the letter of James. And if you actually go to Matthew chapter 13, you find out that, that Jude was actually described in, in the Gospels. It says in Matthew 13, 55, that Jesus had some brothers. And Jesus' brothers were James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Not Judas as the disciple, but Jude. This is another way of saying his name. He was one of Jesus's, not his full blood brother, but his half brothers. Because they all had the same mother, but they had different fathers. Uh, they, they were all, uh, had the, the, their dad was Joseph, but Jesus's dad was the Holy Spirit. And so he's a half brother. It also says that, that Jesus had a lot of uh, half sisters as well. It doesn't name them, but there was a huge family um, in, in their house. And Jesus was the oldest. But these guys, these brothers, they were not believers in Jesus. In John chapter 7, verse 5, it says that even his brothers didn't believe in him. They thought he was crazy. And so Jude, the guy that we're looking at his letter today, he thought Jesus was, was crazy at the beginning. But something happened in his relationship with Jesus. And in Acts chapter 1, we see that Jesus has, has resurrected. He's hung out with his followers. And then he ascends up into heaven. And it says that bunch of his followers are in this upper room praying, and it describes who they are. It says that they're disciples, so all the guys. There was also Mary and his brothers. So all of a sudden, Jude becomes a believer in Jesus. And I was wondering, why, why did he become a believer eventually and finally? Well, I think it's because he actually saw the resurrection. Like, he witnessed that and experienced that, which is great evidence to show that that was actually something that actually happened. That's pretty crazy. I mean, the, the brothers were like, okay, enough is enough. Finally, we'll, we'll believe in you because we actually have seen with our own eyes. So Jude is now a follower of Jesus. Says He actually is a, he, call, he doesn't even say he's a brother of Jesus. He says he's a slave of Jesus, talking about his humility there. But then he goes on in, in the next part of verse 1 and des, des, describes who he's talking to. He says, to all who have been called by God the Father. So he's, he's saying to, to believers, uh, I'm writing a letter to you. All these different churches, I'm writing a letter um, to, the, to you. And then in verse 3, he gives the purpose for, for while, he, while he is writing. He says this, dear friends, I've been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. There's, I want to write to you about this. It's a pretty easy thing to talk about. It's been a nice, easy letter there's something I wanted to share with you about salvation. We can all agree on it. It's going to be great. But now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith. He says, man, there's something else that has happened, and we need to talk about it. You see, Jude could see some dangers for the early church. He could see some dangers right in front of them, some potential wrecks in their lives and in their congregations because of certain people, and certain beliefs that were creeping in. And so our, our theme verse, so the two verses, theme verses for the next three weeks is actually verses 12 and 13. And so I want to, to take you to that because it's going to describe the, the, the people and the beliefs that kind of got, got into the church. Here's what it says. Now this is really, really beautiful two verses. It's almost like a poem. Uh, look what it says. It says, When these people eat with you in your fellowship meals commemorating the Lord's love... They are like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. They are like shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. They're like clouds blowing over the land without giving any rain. 
They're like trees in autumn that are doubly dead, for they bear no fruit and have been pulled up by the roots. They're like wild waves of the sea, churning up the foam of their shameful deeds. And they are like wandering stars, doomed forever to blackest darkness. Now, that's, that's pretty beautiful what it's talking about. It's kind of morbid and sad. It's talking about there's, there's these people, there's these beliefs that are false and they're fake. And they have, they've gotten into the church and describes them as dangerous reefs and that they can shipwreck you. Now, one of the most famous shipwrecks of all time is the Titanic, right? Did y'all know that, that movie is 26 years old now? Man, that makes us really, really old, right? Some of us, 26 years old, that's how old that movie is. Now, we all know about the Titanic, but one thing about it is really interesting is that people called it the unsinkable ship. And that actually was its claim to fame, and that was advertisement that, that nothing can, can wreck this, this ship. It's unsinkable. But we all know what happened. Now, the people that were guiding the, the ship, they didn't do it on purpose. They didn't wreck on purpose. No one does that. No one wants to wreck their ship and to drown in the sea. And in our own lives, we don't want to wreck our lives, if you think about it. We don't, no one intentionally goes and wrecks their life unless they're kind of crazy. We don't want to wreck our relationships. We don't want to, to wreck our business ventures. We don't want to wreck our futures. We don't want to wreck our relationship with God. We don't want to wreck the faith that we've been building up over time if you're a believer in Christ. No one wants to do that. But I think there's something really interesting that we got to understand before we jump in even further into Jude, and it's, the, it's this. No one is unsinkable. Every single one of us has the potential to sink our faith. There are dangers out there that we need to recognize and understand how to navigate around them because it is a dangerous world out there. I think about famous pastors who have gone astray. I think about people who you, you never think, you, you want to be like them someday, who something happened, something got inside their life, and all of a sudden they said, I'm done with all of this. And they run from the Lord. And you ask, why is that? There are dangers out there that we need to recognize and understand. And so let's not just listen to me today. Let's actually go back and listen to, to Jude. He's going to to call out these things today. So go back to verse 4, and here's what he says. Verse 4 says, I say this because some ungodly people have, this is really interesting, have wormed their way into your churches. And here's what they have said, okay? Saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. What's happening here is that people had wormed their way in. And today, beliefs, false beliefs, fake beliefs, perverted beliefs have wormed their way into the church or to God's people, into faith. Now, what it's talking about specifically here is this, the temptation of cheap grace. You know what cheap grace is? Cheap grace is when you accept grace without a proper response back to Jesus for what he has done for us. Paul talked about it a lot. Back in Romans chapter 6, there's a pretty famous part. He says, well, then should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? And he's like, of course not. Like, that's silly. We shouldn't just keep sinning so he can give us more and more grace. He says, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Our relationship is different to sin. Verse 6, he says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power 
in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. What was going on back then in Jude's day is, and happens to us as well, is it's easy to, to believe that Jesus will forgive us. And so now we have this permission to, to sin. I mean, it's very tempting. It's a tempting message. I mean, think about it. You don't have to, you don't have to submit to God. You can just grab that gift and, and go, you know, because God has given us this get out of jail free grace card and it's got this lifetime membership. And so we're just going to carry around and go on and do whatever we want to do. But the Bible says that people who actually are walking around as believers and they're sinning with that grace card and they just pull it out. Ah, Jesus forgives me. Jesus forgives me. People that do that are not actually living in freedom with the grace that God gives. They're actually a slave to sin. That's what the Bible says. And so that's what was going on to this, these people. And back in verse 4, it was saying that, that that's what they were doing. They were, they were accepting this grace, but they didn't accept the other side of the coin. He says, says that they, they denied Jesus as Lord. And I think that happens a lot of times. We, we accept this grace. We don't actually, we don't actually understand the other part of, of, the, of the, the situation and the equation that he is now Lord of your life. Y'all have heard this phrase, right? The, the phrase, um, ask Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, right? The salvation story, okay? We say it on the stage. People have said it before. You've heard it. Ask Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. Now, I believe that this is true, but I think we actually get this kind of messed up. You see, the Savior part, we, we get correct, that you get an opportunity to accept or reject that gift of forgiveness. You get, you get a chance to say yes or no to that. But we get the Lord part backwards. You see, you don't get to make Jesus Lord. Like you're saying, okay, hey, Jesus, um, now here's what I want you to be. Like nobody makes Jesus Lord of their life. He is Lord, okay? He doesn't just become Lord when you say he is Lord. He is the Lord. And that's what was the problem. They weren't recognizing that Jesus is Lord. They were accepting his gift, but they weren't understanding and recognizing that now things are different because he is the Lord. And that's what you get when you, when you have cheap grace infil, infiltrate or worm its way, the scripture says, in, into the church. You get a church full of people who accept that gift, but they don't actually recognize and treat Jesus as Lord. And so here's what I'd like to do. I think it's important for us to identify some things that are actually going on in our culture. And we're going to use Jude because he's going to explain to us back in his culture some things that were infiltrating the church. And I want, I want to call them culture's dangerous coral. We're talking about this, this idea of being shipwrecked and these hidden reefs. There's some coral out there that is dangerous in our culture. It was dangerous for him or for their culture, and it's dangerous for us as well. And so Jude is going to explain some things. Um, now, verses 5, 6, and 7, it gets a little crazy. If you read that, you're going to go, what in the world is that even talking about? So let me give you kind of Clayton's cliff notes uh, of, of the next couple verses because it's going to describe some things that are actually going on in our culture as well. So in verse 5, Jude is going to talk about how the Israelites, as an example, he says the Israelites in the Old Testament, they actually began to fall away from God in, in the, in, uh, the, when they were wandering in the desert. They were following God, and all of a sudden, they changed and they turned. And what happened is, is they unfollowed God. 
And that's what happens in a culture when you begin to stop reading scripture, you stop believing the truth, you stop reading it, and you start erasing it. That's what was going on way back then in the Old Testament. It was what was going on in Jude's day. And I think that's something that actually is going on in our day as well. Because in our society, I mean, we're all about cancel culture. That's just a big thing. Started about 11 years ago, this idea of of canceling things. Now, what, what does that actually mean? It means that when you don't agree with someone else, if you're trying to cancel them, you're trying to, Push them away because they're, they're different than you. That's what, that's, what, that's what we do as a culture sometimes. And our culture, I would say, is on a path to try to cancel out God, to, to unfollow God. Because the gospel is offensive, guys. It's offensive. We think it's all great, fun, and games. But you think about it from a perspective of someone who doesn't believe in God. When you say, you know what, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. Right? Like no one likes that. No one wants to hear that message. It's offensive. Now, there's great things about the gospel, and it changes lives, but the gospel itself is offensive. In our culture, it doesn't like it at all. And the more our culture moves away from from the gospel, the more that, as Christians, we're going to be targeted. And that's okay. But what what people are trying to do, and what our culture is trying to do, is it's an attempt to, to take away God's influence in our society. And I would say there's a danger for the church, like of unfollowing God, because it's actually sometimes easier to to give in to what the culture is saying. It's, it's, It's easy to just appease the culture than sharing Christ. It's easier to say, you know what, you're right, you're right, we're gonna change what we say and how we believe, compared to saying, you know what, no, we're gonna we're gonna share the good news, because it is good news. So that's what was going on in verse 5, and, and that was an example of the Old Testament. It's what was going on in their, in their current day, and it's what's going on today. This idea, this danger of we can get to a place where we actually unfollow God in how we act, what we believe, decisions we make. But it doesn't end there. He goes on in verse 6, and he's going to talk about the angels and how way back then at the beginning, the angels they actually rebelled against God. And what they were actually doing is they were trying to dethrone God and they were punished because of it. And I like to call this catfishing as the creator. Okay, that sounds really silly, but, but that's a, a dangerous um, coral that, that's in our culture where we begin to catfish as the creator. Now, what, what is it to catfish? Catfish means to when someone um, assumes a, a false identity online, okay, where you're trying to create this like alternative identity or you're trying to pretend that you are someone you're not. That's what it, that's what it means to, to catfish someone. And I would say that the church, sometimes, some churches actually catfish the culture. And they pretend that they are something when they actually aren't. And what happens is you can see it because it'll be flashy and fancy and it'll be awesome and exciting. And you go to that church, but pretty soon you'll realize that they're not actually about God. They're about themselves. And that's what can happen in in our culture where people actually try to put themselves on the throne. They try to dethrone God and put themselves on the throne. They try to build their own kingdom. Now I'd say we are in the kingdom building business, but as a church, We are striving and trying with humility. We mess up sometimes. We are striving and trying to build God's kingdom, not our own kingdom. And you can really understand that and see that in a church. When a church is not about humility, but they're about pride. If they're not about God's kingdom, but they're about their own. And I would just say, you need to run from that. You need to run from that. 
it's a dangerous thing that you can get yourself into. That's what was going on in Jude's day. It's what's going on today where we can try to dethrone God and try to put ourselves in his place. Verse 7, he goes on and describes one other way and, um, that, that is an example. And he uses uh, Sodom and, G- and Gomorrah as an example. Now, we all know about Sodom and Gomorrah. They, they sinned sexually and they, they ran from God. And, and I, I like to call it the, the rotting of what's right. This is another dangerous aspect of, of our culture. It's the, the rotting of what's right. It's, it's talking about moral bankruptcy. Sodom and Gomorrah, they were morally bankrupt. There were some people in the church in Jude's day who were morally bankrupt. And I would say as a, as a culture, we are morally bankrupt, aren't we? I mean, you just look out, it's just, it's crazy to think about that. But the church can be morally bankrupt as well. And the best example of that is when we water down Scripture because of culture's pressure for us to go along with the crowd. And you can look at all these different examples of pressure that's put on us as Christians to say, you know what, the Bible doesn't really say that. That's not God's truth. You know, they didn't know what they were talking about back then. Like, we are the most, we're the smartest people ever, okay? In our culture, right now, today, we know what what truth is. You know what that's called? It's called moral relativism. Moral relativism is when we water down truth until there's really no truth anymore to determine what's right and wrong. So what happens is, is then morality is not based on God's standard. It's based off of your personal preference, right? Whatever you like, whatever you want, that is truth for you. That's moral relativism. But let me just say this. The truth will be true whether you or someone else likes it or doesn't, okay? It's going to be true. And that's a real danger we can get into where we're like, you know what? That's not really true. God's word really isn't true. It's based off of my experience. So what Jude is going to go on to do, and, and he kind of takes a pause, and in verse 8, he's going to describe why people are like that and why in the church and outside the church, people get that way sometimes. And here's what he says. He says, in the same way these people, here's what they do. They claim authority from their dreams. It's kind of weird. Claim authority from their dreams. They live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff as supernatural beings describes why they rebelled. You see, what they were doing is they were saying, you know what, my experience is what is truth. And it changed their attitudes. It changed their beliefs. And they said, you know what, I'm going to go and make the rules in my life. I'm not going to have um, a foundation of, of God's word in my life. The foundation is me creating my experience, which honestly... He calls it dreams because it's, it's fake. It's a fairy tale. And people were led astray by these false dreams of who God is instead of believing who God actually is. You see, it's easy to get influenced. I, mean, I think it's something that, as a culture, we, we deal with a lot. As a church, it's easy to be influenced. And if you've been led to believe something that's contrary to God's word, you may be heading to disaster. And you may not even realize it. So what do you need to do? I think sometimes it's, it's you, don't have, you don't have enough time to, to change the sail. You don't have time to, to turn the wheel. You gotta do something different. 
that will actually change the course of the direction that you're going down. And I want to call it this. I want to call it just dropping anchor. I don't know where you're at in your life, but I think there might be some beliefs, some things, some practices in your life that you say, you know what, that is leading me towards disaster. And I, I don't have time to, to change the direction. I need, I need help. I need an emergency break situation. You know, that, that was the emergency break of the day. Back in Acts chapter 27, Paul was with uh, his, his, uh, some of his guys, and they were on this ship with a bunch of, like, a couple hundred people, and there's a big storm um, happening, and it was in the middle of the night, and they uh, saw shore in front of them, and they were kind of moving towards it, and they were getting a little scared by it because they did whatever the, their depth finder of the day was. They went down, and they saw it was 120 feet, and a little bit later, they saw that it was 90 feet. They said, you know what? We're in trouble. And it says this, at this rate... They were afraid we would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore. So they, what did they do? They threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. They threw the anchors out. It's a last-ditch effort to save themselves. You know, it, it's easy to stray. And I would say it's even tempting to stray. In those three ways, to, to remove God as authority, like unfollowing him. I think it's easy to, to build your own kingdom. And that's what our culture teaches us to do. Man, it's all about you. Build your own kingdom. Build yourself up. Don't spend your life on God. Do it for yourself. And I think the reason we do those first two is because we have somehow strayed from the truth. We've strayed from the gospel and we've made it what we want it to be. And when it sounds good to us, and we take out the things that we don't like. And we might be in a point, and you might be in a point where you've got to drop anchor and just ask God to fix it. You have that conversation with him. Because he, here's the deal. He is the only thing that can change you. He is that anchor. In fact, the Bible talks about it in several different places. In, in Psalm 62, here's what it says. It says that he alone is my rock and my salvation. Not me trying to fix myself, not me trying to be better. He says he alone is my rock and my salvation, meaning that on the bottom of the, of the ocean, you want that anchor to latch on to not just some sand, but you want it to latch on to, to something strong, something foundational that can take you from the way that you're going and shift you and change you and stop you from running into that hidden reef. It goes on in Hebrews chapter 6. It says, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Man, how applicable is that? God is a strong, and hope in him is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Now let me, let me close with this. I think it's good to go back to, to verse 12. And so we're going to put this back up on the screen. It says that, that when people went to, to, the, to these, these dinners together, believers, these believers, they would go and they would, they would spend time together and they would, they would call them commemorating the Lord's love. These fellowship meals. Who was at those? Was it full of strangers? No, it was, it was full of people that knew each other. You see, these false beliefs... And practices, they're not, they're not distant things that we kind of look at from afar. They're at our table. 
What that means is, is that we have, you have in your own life, I have in my own life, I've invited them into my life. And I've said, hey, here's a seat. Come and sit down with me. This isn't like a stranger danger kind of moment, okay, where we run from someone that, that's, that's, that's different from us or we don't know. It's people you let into your life. It's influences you let into your life. It's beliefs that we ingest from, think about it, like news we listen to all the time, podcasts, things on the internet. We take those things and we let them have influence over us. And a lot they lead us astray and say, does God really say that? Like, that's not exactly what the Bible says. The Bible says actually something a little bit different. And they begin to put this layers and layers of doubt into our minds. Another way that we are influenced is when we, we just blindly accept the truth from people who either have authority over us or people who are, have celebrity status. It's weird in our culture. Like if someone is in, the, that, is in those positions, we think they're in the positions because they're smarter than us or they have the truth. And so whatever they say, whatever they do, we're like, I want to be like them. The reality is that could be a dangerous reef, and that can shipwreck you. So today, I, I, it's kind of a somber message. I mean, it's a warning for us. As a church, it's a warning for us individually. But I believe it's also an opportunity, an opportunity to, to come to the Lord and say, God, please, will you help me? Help me to see what is truth. Help me to see what is false and help me to take inventory of the things that I let influence my life. And if there are some things that I need to, to change or do or some, some push some of those false beliefs out, help me to recognize those and help me to change. In fact, that's what I'd like for us to do. Let's, let's do that right now. I want to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to have a time of prayer. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to sing a song. And during that song, I want to to ask you, you may, wherever you're at, just to, to pray and you talk to God. Is there things in your life that are influencing you that you don't recognize and you need God to open your eyes? And maybe you, you recognize them, okay? Maybe you're like, oh, I absolutely understand what those things are. Maybe you need to throw out that anchor and say, God, save me from it. Rescue me from it. Change me. I don't want to shipwreck my faith. I want to trust in you. You are the anchor I need. You're the rock on which to stand. Let's go to the Lord right now. Father, I thank you for Jude's message. And sometimes it's hard to understand, but God, it's a, an important message for today. God, where have we strayed as a church? Where have we strayed individually? What have we let influence us? What false beliefs and practices have come into our lives? Help us, God, right now, reveal those things to us. Convict us to change, to follow what is true. God, we're begging. We're begging you to change our direction. Help us to find our foundation in you. I pray, Lord, for anyone in this room who has never trusted in Jesus. 
He is the Lord of the world and all of creation. But God, they need to accept that gift of forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that they may do that today. God, right now, while we're standing, help us, Lord. Convict us. Reveal truth to us. Help us to change for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are super glad that you decided to join us today. And if you watch us every week, we're so glad that you join us. And if you're watching right now for the very first time, um, we want to just say welcome to the family. We're so glad that you're here. Um, if you're someone who during the message, you thought, you know what, I want to know more about Christ. I want to give my life to Jesus. And I, I want to know what it means to be forgiven. Uh, we want to connect with you. So if you could text forgiven to 94,000, and that way, one of our ministers can reach out to you and you can begin that conversation of knowing how God can change your life. Um, here at Central, we truly do believe that Jesus changes everything. See you guys later.